Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 14, Cornelius Fudge. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had always known that Hagrid had an unfortunate liking for large and monstrous creatures. During their first year at Hogwarts, he had tried to raise a dragon in his little wooden house, and it would be a long time before they forgot the giant three-headed dog. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Jackson Bird. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. As you all heard, we are lucky enough to be joined again by Jackson Bird, the host of the podcast Caught Key Ride Home, the author of Sorted. And we're so excited to have you, Jackson, on our first episode of the new year. Happy 2022. Yeah, happy 2022. Thank you for having me. I feel like starting the year off, you know, in a, in a great way by being on this podcast again. And I, of course, get to start my new year with you, which is also lovely. Oh, well. I don't know how I can accept that without thinking about the theme of today. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll do. You're going to tell us a story on the theme of humility. Yeah. Humility is something I am always working on. And one way that I like to work on it is just always like practicing gratitude. That's something that always helps me. But as I was trying to brainstorm a story, one thing that did not show much humility for me was it took a long time to realize it didn't have to be a story about me. <laughs> it could be about someone else in my life and how they show or don't show humility. In trying to think of like other people in my life or just like scenarios I've been through, there were not a lot of standout ones of like big instances of humility. And so I was like, maybe it isn't a value that I hold in as big a way in my life as I thought, because yeah. like all of my 
standout memories that I really like and look back on are definitely more the opposite of humility. You know, they're, they're big and, and brash and bold and like fun and kind of things like that. Uh, but I finally thought of one and it's, it's going to be a little bit vague for privacy reasons, but, uh, I thought of a good friend of mine who is not perfect. Like I think, you know, a big part of humility is, is not being perfect, but a big part of it is knowing and being aware of and accepting some of your imperfections or some of your missteps. And so this friend of mine is so extraordinary to me in this one way, which is that when he maybe gets going on a joke that goes too far and, and hurts someone's feelings or is somehow misunderstands as a part of some, you know, miscommunication, he might not be aware of it at all at first, but the minute someone brings it to his attention, it's just done deal, closed book. Like he accepts exactly what you said. He apologizes, he changes, and it just never says anything about it again. There is no like self-conscious trying to defend himself. Be like, well, I was coming from this, like, like you're right, but no, I want you to hear my side of the story, which is what I would always do. And there's not, there's never any also like passive aggressive references to it later of like, well, I'm not doing this anymore because so-and-so said like, it is just immediate acceptance. And like, from then on, it's fine. And I just have never met someone with such a consistent ability of doing that. And to me, that is just a huge sign of that humility and sort of that, that lack of self-consciousness, at least in, in that realm to so easily be so receptive to other people's critiques, but it's not even quite critique because I think what it is, is, you know, someone that he cares about and respects saying, Hey, this hurt me or this hurt someone that we know. And so he just immediately is like, okay, then, then I stop doing that. I fix this. We, we change, we move on. Ah, that's such a beautiful story of humility. And because Matt could not join us today, I did research for Etymology Corner. And I think that what you elucidated gets to the the root of where humility comes from. So it dates all the way back. It it goes through French to church Latin to Latin. And it literally meant like humus, earth that there's something grounded about humility. And over time, it's come to mean, you know, at lowly or small in stature or insignificant. But it really comes from this idea of, of just earth, that we are a part of that. And I love the groundedness of that, right? It yeah, sounds like your that friend. that stood out to me too. I love that your friend is like, who cares what else? It hurts someone. That's all that matters. Done. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah, I love the groundedness you brought up as well, because I when I think about people who express humility, I think of them as sort of calm and grounded or or just in that moment. Like when I, you know, I said I, maybe I sometimes try to practice uh, gratitude as as a vehicle towards humility. And that is something that always sort of grounds me and calms me down. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's really interesting. And then, of course, the word evolved to be closer to what we know it today, right, of this um, right. It, it has the same root as humiliation. Right. And yeah. so like the, and I think that it's the thing that frustrates me about humility often is that there's, there can be such a razor thin difference between humility and like self negation or mm-hmm. like self loathing. And that's always where I'm like, mm, like, don't be humble. Own the stuff you know, like be confident, claim your space, right? Uh, of course, I want the people with power to be humble and the people without it to not be. 
Well, I mean, I think that is a very good point that we could potentially dig into as, as we keep going. But that that razor thin line between humility and humiliation. I mean, even just as I have been talking about humility and trying to figure out, wait, how do I conjugate this? I almost have said humiliated a few times. Mm-hmm. I guess it would be like humbled would be humbled. like kind yeah. of, yeah, yeah. But, but it is, they're, they're so close and they're sort of, it's like in one sense, two polar extremes, but in the other sense, just sort of like you can so quickly flip from one to the other. Yeah. Can definitely talk about humility and power with Lucius Malfoy flying in at the end of this chapter. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Should we remind people what happens in this chapter? Yes, please. Okay. Can you count me in? I'll go first with the 30 second recap. All right. (laughs) Three, two, one. So the kids are like, oh my God, Hagrid is the murderer. No, he's not. He might be. Then there's going to be a Quidditch match, but McGonagall comes out and is like, no Quidditch match because there has been another assault. Hermione is petrified. Also, by the way, before that, everybody has to pick their classes for third year. And Hermione's like, I'm going to literally take all the classes. Foreshadow. Then we go down to Hagrid's hut because the boys are going to talk to him. And Lucius Malfoy comes and is like, Dumbledore, you're not the headmaster anymore. And Dumbledore and Cornelius Fudge are like, sorry, Hagrid, we know you're innocent, but you have to go to prison anyway pretty well done thank you nice thank you. Well, you you packed a lot of, did you even take the whole 30 seconds i did take the whole 30 seconds oh, okay yes. <laughs> but ugh, i have so many feelings okay jack before i start yelling would you like to go yeah i I'll, i will fill in some gaps okay thank you i appreciate it on your mark get set go Okay, so at the beginning, Harry had just like come out of Riddle's memory and found out that Hagrid was the one allegedly who opened the Chamber of Secrets, at least according to Riddle's diary. We still don't know who Riddle is. And also uh, later, a little after that, around the time they're picking electives, I don't really remember, uh, Riddle's diary is stolen from the Gryffindor common room. And so Harry doesn't know what to do about that and who has it. And uh, oh, before the Quidditch match is canceled, Harry hears the snake again uh and then the quidditch match is canceled and then oh no did i uh, time's up time is up a long time ago <laughs> but there's something else important that we i well, t- did you say it tell me no I, uh hermione is petrified yeah i slipped That's in like it was one. no big deal i oh, was like and hermione okay. is petrified but no it bears repeating well where do you want to start this conversation about humility jackson well, you know, we both keep sort of talking about the end. So maybe we kind of start there. We can work yeah. our way back Yeah. about the lack of humility from both Malfoy and Fudge when they appear at Hagrid's hut and Ron and Harry are in the invisibility cloak. So Hagrid knows they're there, but uh, Fudge and Malfoy don't. Dumbledore maybe does, maybe doesn't. There's <laughs> always been that hint that maybe he can at least sense when people are there under invisibility cloaks. But one line really stood out to me when Fudge is trying to explain why he has to take Hagrid away. And we find out away means to Azkaban, a horribly torturous prison. Uh, and Fudge says, look at it from my point of view. I'm under a a lot of pressure. Got to be seen to be doing something. If it turns out it wasn't Hagrid, he'll be back and no more said, but I've got to take him. Got to. Wouldn't be doing my duty. And I just couldn't believe how egregious that was when I read it. It was like you were literally talking about a person's life, essentially, you know, going to be with the Dementors and you're just doing it because politically you've got to look like you're doing something and this is all you can come up with. And it, it just made me so, so mad. I, 
I mean, and then later he's like, look, if it turns out you're innocent, we'll offer you an apology. And I was like, too little. Like, you know, there was just the Malcolm X case that was discussed where the two men who clearly did not murder Malcolm X were acquitted. One of them is already dead. The other one is in his 80s. And the government is like, sorry. And I'm like, you should be ashamed of yourself for offering an apology in this situation, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is so inhumane. And yeah, I think that you're exactly right that this is a lack of humility, right? If he was truly humble, he would remember that Hagrid is one of the people he serves. And also, he's not Mm. serving anyone by putting an innocent man in jail, right? Like, this is, right, like, injustice somewhere is injustice everywhere. And what is he actually accomplishing except his own potential maybe career longevity. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the fact that he, you know, barely even believes that it was Hagrid himself, like he knows that it's not actually doing anything. So it is completely an an ego kind of move, which is just the worst. And it's just heartbreaking watching Hagrid realize it. Be like, Mm -hmm. really? Not Azkaban. Like, Again, and I think the other thing that was so heartbreaking to me was how calm it was, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm used to being treated like worse than a second class citizen and used as a scapegoat. And he he just accepts that he's used to being treated like trash. That is such an excellent point, because you can just imagine that if like the tables had sort of been turned and someone was taking Lucius Malfoy off to Azkaban, like it would have been he would have thrown such a huge fit. I don't know what his version of my father is. Yeah, my lawyer, that is absolute magical lawyers. Did we see them? No, because no one ever freaking gets a trial. So we have not seen magical lawyers. But yeah, yeah, I think you are, you know, tragically completely right there that Hagrid is just used to being treated less than human. I think that what we see with Hagrid is the real negativity of someone forcing your humility rather than finding the humility on your own terms, right? Which is, I I hope the, the opportunity that we all have, right? Not to be humiliated, but to find humility on our own terms. Is that right? Yeah, well, I so I forgot where I read it, uh, but when I was preparing for the show and just sort of like reading various definitions of humility, I saw one that distinguished between humility and humiliation as humility being like an internal thing on your own and humiliation being from an external force Mm -hmm. being put upon you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that could kind of be, you know, what we're seeing here. And I think that agency and control is so important, especially when looking at Hagrid's narrative here. Yeah. And I think that the other thing, right, is that we have to look at Hagrid's lack of structural power because Malfoy Mm. is attempting to Lucius Malfoy, not Draco in this case. Malfoy is attempting to humiliate Dumbledore. But because Dumbledore has so much social cachet and respect, he's not humiliated. He's like, fine, I won't be headmaster for a while. Right. Like, yeah, it's almost like he's such a good point. It's almost like he can't Dumbledore has so much social capital that it's almost impossible to humiliate him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a fantastic point of like, 
Well, and I mean, also, I, I guess we should point out that similar consequences are not being put on either of them. Yes. Uh, you know, Dumbledore is, okay, go wherever you live, hang out with your brother for a couple of weeks. You're you're not in power anymore, and Hagrid is going to be tortured. I do wonder if it is still humbling for Dumbledore. I think he, I would imagine that he sees this seat at Hogwarts to kind of be his, right? He he isn't doing a ton of headmastering anymore. He's just sort of running a political underground coup from the office of Hogwarts. So he's, yeah. he obviously sees Hogwarts as like entirely his dominion. And so I, I do kind of wonder if it was humbling for him to have the governors be like, we just, you're here by, you know, the will of us. And it is only because of that, right. That, that you get to be here and that I'm sure most of these people are in Dumbledore's corner, but they are only one bully tactic away from Lucius Malfoy of sort of turning on Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, cause I mean, he obviously sees through the corruption there, right. but the way you just put it at the end of like, it's just one bully move by one person that, that separates him from having this job that he kind of assumes is just his, that he can do whatever he wants with to not having it at all and not having, you know, the power that it, at least this far in the book, we, we generally think of him as wielding mostly for good to protect these students and everything. Yeah, I, I, I don't know which way he might fall, but I, I feel like in the in the sort of external like leadership role, he would act like, ah, oh, yes, I like I know what's going on here. It's fine. But you're right. Like people like that have deep down self-conscious feelings, too. And, and he might have felt humbled by that. That is a kind of humbling that I feel like I've learned in the last five years that the things that I used to just assume would happen have just stopped happening, right? So the example in this chapter being, you know, forget that Harry is confident that he's going to win the Quidditch match. It doesn't even occur to him to be curious whether or not the Quidditch match will actually happen, right? Like that just yeah. happens. Like that's just a thing that happens and he's even sure they'll win. And th right, the, the confidence through which we walked through the world five years ago, right? I, I would say to someone, well, I'll see you, you know, Jack, I'll see you next time I'm in New York. And now yeah. there's this like, well, Jack, hopefully I'll be back in New York in the new year, right? Like there's just this humility that that is accessing a truth that was always there, that we're all on borrowed time, that mm. we're all just one virus away from not being able to live our best lives, that we're all one superstorm away from that. But I, I at least feel very reminded that, like, we should not be counting on any Quidditch matches anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess there's a real lack of humility and assumption. Right. But also that big moments like a basilisk <laughs> or, or right. like the pandemic can uh, really show us things that we didn't even realize were assumptions. You know, just like things that we thought were truths about the world. Yeah, that's that's a big one that really struck me reading this chapter for the first time, like since the pandemic has happened. Yeah, was there. I mean, there are a lot of parallels in what's happening. You know, we we start with the revelation, you know, not true, but like the revelation about Hagrid. And so Harry, Ron and Hermione are grappling with that of this like 
parental figure in their life that they've known is not perfect, but like this is a much bigger deal, like a much more serious accusation, again, from like an external source coming into their little bubble. Um, but then we have literally the school maybe shutting down and all of these th- all of these ways that's changing. There's no Quidditch. Uh, there's no extracurricular anything. You have to stay in your dorms, like all of these things that they were doing. I mean, it also reminded me a little of how like at the start of the pandemic, we, we had so many different things of, you know, sanitize your groceries, like wear gloves. Like we had so many different things because we didn't know what we were fighting yet. And that's the same thing with uh, in Chamber of Secrets at this point in this chapter is like, okay, they know that something is petrifying students and ghosts even, but they don't know what it is. And so they've come up with all of these different restrictions for the students, but not knowing uh, exactly like what is going to work or if any of it'll work and that kind of thing. But I, I think the biggest thing goes back to what you were saying about sort of the lack of humility in assuming that the world will always be the way it will is when they start grappling with the idea that Hogwarts might shut down. Hogwarts that's been around for a thousand years might have to close. And Harry, who thought he was going to get to live this wonderful life in the magical world now, might have to go back to the Dursleys. And like all those kinds of assumptions reminded me of a, a piece that I read a few months ago by Emily Vanderwerf about, it was actually a, like a review of the M. Night Shyamalan movie Old and the TV series White Lotus. But it was talking about how for two pieces of content that are very different. One thing that connects them thematically and logistically is that they were made during the pandemic. They were some of the first ones to be made entirely like pre post-production, everything during the pandemic. And, um, the theme that she pulled out of both of them was sort of like the world that you were promised not existing anymore. And just sort of like the shock of what you thought your life was going to be just absolutely not being the case anymore and how a lot of us were sort of figuring that out during the pandemic. And that's a lot of what I got out of this chapter that Mm -hmm. I definitely didn't, you know, when I read it a few years ago of just seeing the way that all the characters are now like, oh, wow, like everything that we just assumed, whether it's Quidditch or getting to continue at Hogwarts uh, or have these friends around still like is is not going to be the case or might not be the case going forward. I mean, Ron makes a quote unquote joke, right? How many monsters do you think that this place can hold? And we know, right? I mean, Aragog used to live there and now lives in the Forbidden Forest. The basilisk is in the walls. There's a horcrux on the property, right? Like, well, there are two horcruxes on the property, right? There's the diary and Rowena Ravenclaw's diadem is in the room of requirement. Like, there are are bottomless pits of monsters in this closet. And it it just speaks to me of like a naivete of the privilege to be like, oh, mm. it turns out that white supremacy isn't over. Like, did you know, right? That, and right. Like, like the kids are like, did you know Hogwarts was dangerous? And the older folks on campus are like, yes, we were here the last time it was this dangerous. We, we know it's not safe. But there's something so beautiful about the innocence of like not knowing that the castle is dangerous. I want that. Students should not be scared of their school. Yeah, I absolutely. I that that's a huge takeaway of this. I was I was just thinking about what you said about like how the older folks were like, yeah, we knew we were here last time. But actually, something that I I I get from this, Harry talks about like 
um, if he had to go tell a teacher about Riddle's diary and then like it would remind some of them if they knew like why Hagrid was expelled. And the idea that so much that happened 50 years ago, even a lot of the teachers don't know. Yeah. Like all of them are like a oh, the Chamber of Secrets, that's that's a myth. Like, there's there's still so much that people don't actually know the facts of, even if they've been around for a while. And so I like that point about privilege because it's it's more about people who are privileged to not have to know right. in certain situations versus the people who have been exposed to different things. Right. There's, right, this, like, lucky you feeling of, like, oh, you didn't yeah. know that cops are murderers? Lucky you. Right? Yeah taking us to a much lighter place, but that I think humility comes up a lot is all of this class selection conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that the difference between the way Harry picks classes and Neville picks classes to me illuminates this difference that we've been talking about of humility and humiliation, right? Harry picks classes, I think, in a really lovely way where he's like, I don't know what I'm going to be good at. So I'm going to just pick the same classes as Ron because even if I'm bad, then at least there'll be a friendly face. Whereas yeah. Neville, it's just the self-loathing of like, I'm not going to be good at anything. And it just makes me so sad. And then we get put in conversation with Hermione, who am I? Am I right, Jack? Because this is the first time it occurred to me. Hermione is already talking to McGonagall about the time turner, right? Maybe. I, I I wonder, because all we sort of see in Prisoner of Azkaban is, like, she talks to McGonagall during the feast and gets the time turner. But, like, presumably she discussed it with her before. Right, because how would she, she signs up for every single class, which yeah. wouldn't work with your timetable. So she has to talk right. to McGonagall and get permission. And this is Hermione's biggest, like, fatal flaw moment of thinking she's so smart that she can literally take every class. Laws mm -hmm. of physics be damned. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little lack of humility there, I would say, in just sort of assuming that she is able to take all that on. And assuming that she can, like, bend the will of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that is pretty, um, pretty ambitious there. I also wonder if she just, there's a little humility insofar as she just believes in magic. Right. She's like, mm. magic can give you more time. Magic can give you time to read. <laughs> right. This so it's not necessarily just arrogance, I guess. Well, and I also wonder if actually maybe there's um, some similar vibes to Neville in um, being that she doesn't come from a magical family and she faces some of the prejudice because of that, just feeling like she has to continue to be the absolute best and work harder than everyone else. And so it could be coming from that place as well. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I know. I hope I hope not. No. I hope it was more the, yes, I believe in magic, like you said. That was a very nice interpretation. <laughs> I mean, it's probably both, right? Like, yeah. Or all three. Like, she genuinely loves to learn. Picking is True. difficult. And she, yeah, she just can't make a decision. That's the real, <laughs> which, like, real. I feel that. Just indecisive. But yeah, Neville, the the notes that Neville is getting, 
right? Those also seem to be humiliating, right? Which speaks to me of the fact that even when people aren't trying to humiliate you, sometimes someone trying to help you is humiliating, right? Like, why do you think Mm. I need help? I'm fine. Yeah, absolutely. Right? People can humiliate you completely accidentally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that is a very good point. Um, well, I, I also just keep thinking of Percy's advice to Harry because I think that Percy is just, you know, always very haughty with, uh, wanting to come in and give advice. And I just think it's so funny that someone who tries to be so like practical and ambitious, like Percy, his top recommendation was divination. I know. And I was just like, where did that come from? I, I love his justification for it too. He's like, it's never too soon to be thinking about the future. And so you think he's about to say something about, so think about what you want to do with your career right. and backwards map from that. And then he's like, so take divination. I was like, what? It, I, it is, that is really interesting it, that he seems to believe in this. I don't know. I guess, I guess our judgment on Percy comes down to our judgment on divination. Right. Yeah, which maybe isn't totally fair. And it even made me think, like, I wonder if there was... Well, no, we know there wasn't a different professor when <laughs> when Percy was younger. We know that very clearly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, you know, if there were a... If there had been, hypothetically, a professor that didn't have as much um, baggage that we would associate with Trelawney, and Percy would maybe think of it a little bit more pragmatically. But, no, I don't know. It's It, it was, yeah, it was really interesting out there thing for Percy. But, overall, Percy just coming in and, like, being like, aha, I am the one to give this advice to you. <laughs> yeah, unsolicited advice, right? Not a humble move. Something mm-hmm. Something that I do a lot, I like to pretend that it's because I lived with students for so long and right. Like if you're, if you're like 20 years older than someone, you kind of feel like you can give them unsolicited advice, but you probably shouldn't. And now I just go around (laughs) doing it to everyone. I'm like, don't worry. I know what the best thing to do is. I mean, I do feel like this is one instance where like advice is fairly warranted. You know, it's 12 year olds trying to decide what they (laughs) want to do. Um, but there are so many times when someone just wants you to listen and the jumping in with the advice like that, I think, is a, a real sort of lack of humility thing there of of because it's almost like you're putting the attention back on you when someone was coming to you just needing an ear. Uh, yes. Story of all of our lives, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's another I feel like the whole thing, you know, th- this whole discussion where we're sort of putting judgment calls on what is humility and what is not. And like, you know, a- a- as I said before, it's a big thing I am always working on. Like, it's easy to be an arbiter of it from afar, but right. actually practicing it in your life is very tough. And practicing it while authentically stepping into your authority on the things that you're an authority about. Right. Mm, like. Mm-hmm. I think we do need to be honest about the things that we actually do know more than other people about, right? I don't want Mm -hmm. a humble doctor. I want a doctor who knows their (laughs) stuff, right? Like I want a doctor who listens to me and who like really takes my thoughts on what's going on with my body seriously. But I also want one who like knows that they know things and, you know, utilizes that knowledge. And so I think that there, there is maybe not a sweet spot on humility, but I do think that there's a dangerous edge to it. Like we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think definitely it isn't always the best thing. It reminds me of how there's, you know, just sort of been a growing discussion about toxic positivity 
recently. And I, I think, you know, you, you could sort of draw the line here too, uh, or draw a connection between the two of you don't always want to be completely humble. Um, and especially when it gets into those, those situations of like power imbalances that you were talking about and when is humility, like more authentic humility. And when is it sort of being dictated by a, 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 a leader or someone in power? Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. One moment that I feel like we we have to talk about is this moment of patience that pays off and like just like the only good news we get in the chapter, which is um, Professor Sprout saying that the mandrakes are almost ready. And like, that's an example of a woman who knows exactly what she's doing and being like, Mm -hmm. I like, we have to wait. She's allowing the assuredness of her knowledge to guide when the mandrakes are cultivated, right? I'm sure she's getting pressure to speed this up. Justin and Colin have been petrified for over four months. That is so long that's so long that is like some percent of their lives i don't know but like (laughs) three i'm guessing significant for young people and i it just occurred to me i have never thought about this before but you know hogwarts and maybe even specifically professor sprout are getting owl after owl from their parents yes of like it has been this long and still you have done nothing and i just think she right like she's like we can't do it before we can do it And but she does make the announcement in this chapter that it's almost time, right? Like the mandrakes are almost ready. Yeah. 
and I do have to say on this reread, <laughs> I um, uh, or I think I noticed it uh, like on a previous reread, but I certainly did not as a child reading this book that she says they're almost ready because it's like an in- indication they're in their adolescence. She's like, whenever they start moving into each other's pots and as like a 10 year old reading this, I was like, oh, because they're like having parties. That's what high schoolers do. They go to parties with each other. That's not what it meant. It's a different <laughs> sign of maturity. It's the ooh, <laughs> sign of maturity. <laughs> Well, Jackson, we are now going to do our spiritual practice of Flora Legia, and we have each brought a sentence that sparkled up to us from the text. Which sentence sparkled up at you? So my sentence is, his blue eyes were full of a fire Harry had never seen before. And so this is towards the end of the chapter when Harry and Ron, they're under the invisibility cloak at Hagrid's and Malfoy is not here yet, but Cornelius Fudge and Dumbledore have just come in and said that they're going to have to take Hagrid away. I don't think they've said to Azkaban yet, but um, Harry is kind of watching it all happen and he sees Dumbledore being very calm as ever, but his blue eyes were full of a fire Harry had never seen before. And I mean, that stood out to me just because of the imagery of it, like the blue eyes and the fire. But surface level, my, my first interpretation of it was thinking about something I sort of hinted at before. At the opening of this chapter, we also got Harry, Ron, and Hermione grappling with this new alleged information about Hagrid. You know, they're 12 years old, and they've got these adult figures in their life who suddenly are being accused of different things or having these like external forces being put on them uh, and they're seeing them in all of these new ways. And so for Harry, who has never at this point seen Dumbledore really express any emotion except for just like calmness and maybe a little bit of sternness and then some whimsy with jelly beans, you know, (laughs) now he's seeing this fire behind his eyes, but also the fact that it's just in his eyes. Like there's this anger simmering beneath the surface, but he's still keeping very, very chill and cool on his like external demeanor. Yes. And I really love where you're pointing us to with the imagery too, right? Full of fire, but blue, right? It's, it's really evocative. So my sentence is, in the end, they decided they wouldn't say anything to Hagrid, which is part of a longer sentence, right? They put all these conditions on it unless there was another attack. And as more days went by without one and without hearing a disembodied voice, they became hopeful that they would never have to talk to him about why he had been expelled. So this is, they're deciding whether or not with this new piece of information from Tom Riddle's diary, they should go and ask Hagrid about what happened. And this, in the end, they decided they wouldn't say anything to Hagrid. I just think I used to really judge not saying the thing to people, Mm. being like, just go, like, have an honest conversation, right? Only good can come. And as I get older, I'm like, no, waiting and being more careful can be a virtue, right? Mm -hmm. And I can imagine the kids, this is like such a mixed mixed thing. There are more attacks. It turns out we know that Hagrid isn't part of the attacks, but what if he was and the kids could have helped prevent it? And so the conclusion I'm sort of feeling is it depends on why you're deciding not to say something, right? Mm. Without judging the kids. Again, they're 12, but like they don't want to talk to Hagrid because they don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. It's not, 
oh, well, we don't want to accuse him of something when we don't have all the information, right? Like Mm -hmm. that would be, I think, a really mature and noble reason to not say anything to Hagrid. Well, that's not what they're up to here. And so deciding when, uh, deciding when to speak up and not, it's just been on my mind a lot. Yeah. I mean, I really like your your point about the why is important, like whether you are choosing to speak up or not. It's it's about why are you you're making one of those choices, because I, I think I'm with you that, you know, like increasingly I have also felt like you shouldn't always speak up for something like there are very important reasons not to like whenever people say like oh well you should ask like what's the worst that someone could do is say no it's like actually no there are worse things than them just saying no because like when you are confronting someone about something or when you were putting a new revelation out there like that has impacts on the other person it has impacts on your relationship it has all kinds of impacts that you need to think about before you just say something and put it out into the universe. Like that is something I thought about a lot when I was coming out was like, when I say this, there's, there's no taking it back. Like regardless of how I change and grow as a person and regardless of if that person recognizes how that is all valid as it is, like this is still something they will forever know about me. Right. And I cannot change that. And I cannot change their perception of it and what they do with that information. Right. So why don't we put our two sentences together. So the sentences as one text are, his blue eyes were full of a fire Harry had never seen before. In the end, they decided they wouldn't say anything to Hagrid. Oh, this made me think of like a beautiful alternate reality where the kids are like, Dumbledore's got this. Look at how mad he is. We don't need to say anything to Hagrid. Oh, yeah. I, I I was going similar where I was like, okay, putting this sort of in a, in a universe together. I was almost thinking like Hagrid's eyes. Oh. They were looking at, so Hagrid's blue eyes were full of fire and it's like, he's mad about something. And so they're like, okay, we're not going to say anything right now. Now's <laughs> yeah. not the time. It's not the time for either, right? Like he's already upset or for our own safety. We're not yeah, going to Yeah, either he's going to get... Either he's going to get more upset or, like you said, like, he's got this. Like, we don't need to help. Yeah. Yeah. He's outraged enough. We don't need to pump him up. Right. Okay. Well, let's flip the sentences around the other way. So it is, in the end, they decided they wouldn't say anything to Hagrid. His blue eyes were full of a fire Harry had never seen before. It's interesting because when you flip it around, now I'm feeling like he knows they should be saying something and he's mad that they're not. Totally. Yeah. Oh, which, which then just like flips like what you've been saying of sometimes you do need to speak up in this in this case with these two sentences in this order. It's like a, a case where it sounds like maybe you should speak up. Yeah. The other thing that I'm thinking about as we talk about this in really abstract terms is that I also do think that there are some times where it's OK to make something about you. Right. Sometimes Mm. someone will vent about something and you're like, I'm the wrong person to vent about this to like my, my dad was incredibly, incredibly sick over the last year and a half. And I had a friend who was like mildly annoyed with their father was venting to me. Mm. And I was like, I don't like, you're not doing anything wrong, but I don't want to hear this right now. Can you please call Mm -hmm. someone else? Right. So I think that active listening is important, but I also think it's okay to say, I can't actively listen to this right now. Please take it elsewhere. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's super important for boundaries and gets a little bit into, you know, what you were saying about humility, not always being a good thing. Right. Because I think, you know, an argument could be made that the humble thing in that situation, the like, you know, making yourself lower would have been doesn't matter what I'm feeling. I've got to listen and support my friend. But no, the way for both of you to be supported in that situation is for you to say, hey, actually, I I can't help you with this right now. Right. And like, I'm not mad at you. You're not doing anything wrong and assuming I'm just like. This is a nerve that I don't want touched right now. Well, Jackson, thank you so much for doing this really illuminating Florilegia with me. Thank you for doing it with me and guiding me through it again. Anytime. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the borough. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Our voicemail this week is from someone who would like to remain anonymous. Hi, Vanessa, Matt, and everyone at the Sacred Text team. First, I want to say thank you for this podcast. It's truly one of the bright spots in my week. I want to bless Harry for every chapter in every book. It doesn't seem to come up as much in the later books, but Harry grew up in a household with people who thought there was something fundamentally wrong with him. I see a little bit of myself in that, even though I'm so much luckier than Harry ever was. I'm gay, and my parents know and accept me, but my grandparents don't know. I want to believe that they would love me anyway, but a big part of me thinks they would hate this thing about me. Harry does not seem troubled by what the Dursleys think of him, and he seems to let their judgments just slide off of him. I want to be that way. 
I want to not care that people who I share a blood connection with probably think that there's something wrong with me, but I'm not sure how to do that. Part of me wants to just tell them and force them to accept me or not as I am, and part of me wants to stay silent and let my family keep the peace that we seem to have reached. I know I am so much luckier than lots of people in the LGBTQ plus community. My safety and my livelihood are not dependent upon hiding who I am, but it's quite possible that my family is. I'm not sure how to deal with this, and so I'm turning like I have for years and like you do so successfully every week to Harry Potter for guidance. I'd love to know what you think. Is there something in the books that could maybe give me some guidance or help me feel that this is a problem that isn't with me? Thanks. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. The first thing that I just want to say is the the parallel drawn of how Harry can just let the Dursleys comments, you know, slide right off of him. I think the important thing there is that he's never felt love from them at all. And, and as you just said, you feel so much love to and from your grandparents. And so that's one thing that can make it so much more difficult. There's a, a quote from Jameson Green, who's a, a great trans historian. He wrote a book called uh, Becoming a Visible Man. And I, I'm going to get it slightly wrong, but he essentially says something like, oftentimes, you know, when we're trying to come out or, or facing any other difficult thing that we uh, are grappling with or, you know, want to share with loved ones is that we start distancing ourselves from them to almost protect us from what we think might be rejection. You know, we're scared they might reject us, so we just start distancing ourselves. And I definitely did that. I did that with some of my immediate family. I did that with my grandparents because it's hard. It's so hard to think that you might lose them, that you almost want to lose them on your own terms kind of thing. And I don't know your family. I don't know your grandparents. So I, I don't, I, I can't promise you things will be okay. But I, I can say that a lot of times you can be surprised and not at first. It can take a long time. It can take a couple of years, you know, maybe longer. But, you know, for me, after a lot of many, many years of putting it off and struggling with putting it off and then struggling with doing it, it eventually got a lot better than it ever was before. And two of my grandparents have passed away in recent years. And one of them I never came out to and one of them I did. And the one that I did, like we had a really, really great relationship those last couple of years that she was around. And so I'm so grateful that I did. But also, you know, to what we were sort of saying earlier in the episode, you've got to, I guess, sort of think of the ramifications. Maybe it's not worth it. Sort of weigh the balances in your own life and your own relationship with with each grandparent because, you know, their reaction, you know, you, you just you can't count on it. Um, and so I'm, I'm wishing you all all the strength and the bravery because it's a really, really tough thing. And I would also add as a, a practical note, since you said your parents are very supportive, my parents told their respective parents. I didn't tell them anything. And sometimes I wonder if that was cowardly of me or if I asked too much of my parents. But I was thinking about this even just yesterday. And I was like, I am so glad I never had to tell them because I still had to have some subsequent conversations. Some were more awkward than others. Some were more offensive than others. So I still had to do follow up, but not having to do the initial conversation was a huge help. So that might be something that if you think you and your parents would be comfortable with it, I would consider it. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I'm, I'm so glad that 
I'm so glad that you asked your parents for help and it must have felt good for them to be able to support you and yeah, not having to deal with people's initial responses, I feel like is often a blessing. The only thing I'm going to add to the brilliant things that you said, Jackson, is that this person has expressed something that I feel like I hear a lot, which is saying compared to other people, I don't suffer and therefore Mm. invalidating their own fears. People who are are suffering differently than you or more than you, they aren't glad that you're suffering, right? They want all of the suffering to go away, including yours. And so just because your your suffering is more privileged, right, that you have these really supportive parents that you absolutely are entitled to and we should not live in a world in which that is even a question, does not mean the fact that you are unsure of your grandparents' love is any less painful. And so I, I think that there's something slightly alarming happening to me where I think that it's so beneficial that we are acknowledging our privilege when we can. And yet I don't want that to lead to diminishing the hardships in our life because I no one is made better by those hardships and everybody is made better. If you can train your grandparents to be more friendly to the LGBTQ plus community, all people in that community are made better. They might talk to their friends who have a, a grandchild in a similar situation, right? Like you are actually lifting everybody else for advocating for yourself. And I, so I appreciate that you are aware of the gifts in your life. I just don't think that that should stop you from feeling hurt and frustrated, nor stop you for demanding for what you absolutely deserve. Yeah. Very well said. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been lost recently. Sean Beatty, who was 49, and the life of the party. Zach Champamir, who was 18, a beloved friend and stand partner. Ron Glickman was 79, a grandfather, a businessman, and reader. Helmut Yessi, who had the most loving and generous heart. And Karen, who was 57, the kindest friend and who was ambitious and a lover. May their memories be a blessing to us all. Jackson, who would you like to offer a blessing to from the chapter? I really want to bless specifically Professor McGonagall and just generally all of the teachers at Hogwarts in this chapter because she has the very, very hard task of canceling Quidditch in front of Oliver Wood, first of all. (laughs) Very, very brave thing to do. Um, I'd be like, Snape, you got to go do that. You, Everyone hates you already. Make that an asset. (laughs) Right? That actually, that is very smart leadership there. Good delegation. Um, No, that's part of it. She takes on so much. And so then, you know, she has to tell everyone 
what's going on, deliver all of this. But then later when um, Harry and Ron are going down to Hagrid's and they, they note that they've never seen the castle so populated at night because all of the teachers and ghosts and prefects are all patrolling the hallways. And I just can't imagine, like some of these teachers, you know, reading these books as a kid, I was a kid. It was like, oh, teachers, whatever. They're in, they're invincible. They're, they're grown up. So, and now I'm like, some of these teachers are my age. Like, I would be so scared. Like, they're not at any less risk than the students of this unknown monster. And here they are having to put their lives on the line to protect all the students. And so that is just a huge undertaking of those teachers. Uh, and so, yeah, I want to bless the teachers of Hogwarts. Amen. A blessing for McGonagall and for teachers everywhere. It drives me up the wall the way that we ask. We like casually don't even ask, just insist that teachers put their lives on the line. It's a very Mm -hmm. strange world that we live in. Hanging out with kids should not be dangerous. It's infuriating. I would like to bless Neville for this moment that I find so sweet and sad, which is the boys' room gets ransacked and Tom Riddle's diary goes missing. And Neville's in the room when Harry comes in and Neville goes, I'm so sorry, Harry. I don't know who did it. And he almost just feels guilty because he's like in the room that's the scene of the crime. But I just want to offer a blessing for everyone who says sorry when it's not their fault or <laughs> or like feels bad for something they didn't do. And like Neville's just so sweet and he just feels guilty and bad all the time. He even feels bad. He did nothing. He walked in on a very distressing scene of his bedroom having been robbed. And he's like, I'm sorry. It's just very sweet and I want better for him and for all of us who say we're sorry when we did nothing wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. I do feel like just quickly that Neville's uh, reaction there is like maybe coming from both humility and humiliation at the same time. Where I think there's the, the shame we were talking about with Neville before of like people just assume that he's the one who messed up, like probably was his fault. And so he's feeling that. But at the same time, as we see in the way that he grows, he is absolutely the type of person who is just going to like feel bad in general that this happened and want to help in any way that he can. And so I think he's really feeling it from both of those directions. He's just the best. He's the best. (laughs) I'm not going to argue with that. So next week, we will sadly not have Jack, but we will have Matt back. And we will be reading chapter 15, Aragog, through the theme of charm. Jackson, thank you so much for joining us again. It's just always beyond a pleasure, a delight and interesting. And I'm so grateful. Oh, well, right back at you. It's so much fun being on. And I always have such an enlightened feeling when I leave. So thank you so much. (laughs) Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have a Frankenstein pilgrimage with Dana Schwartz that is in April. And you can still sign up for the wait list. We have a Tarot as Sacred Practice class starting in just a few weeks with Naomi Westwater. We have new t-shirts and you can see all of that at our website, notsorryworks.com. 
This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, who's back from school, and we love having her back. We are edited and produced by AJ Yaramas, and our engineer is Erica Wong. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank the anonymous voicemail lever for their voicemail this week. Laura Glass, Julia Argy, Gabby Yori, Nikki Zoltan, Casper Kyle, Stephanie Paulsell, everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. And of course, for one last time, we'd like to thank Jackson Bird. Thanks, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Can you count me in? I'll go first with the 30 second recap. Do I just do three, two, one? Yep. What is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>